It is exciting. I'm coming at you live with my new iPad Pro. <laughs> you got a new iPad? I got a new apartment. You know. Big year. <laughs> so yeah, I'm Gilda. And I'm Steph. And you are listening to Saturday Night High, the podcast where we get stoned and talk about Saturday Night Live. Yes. Happy New Year. I would like to start off this year um, with a little spiff slips because we record spliff slips. What did I just say? Did I just say? Spiff. I, I said it really slowly because I knew I was going to say it wrong and I still said it wrong. So anyways, we'll start off with a spliff. No? Yep. <laughs> yeah, no, that's it. <laughs> with a spliff slip. Um, the first spliff slip being what I just did two minutes ago. I don't know what that was. Um, the second one being when we recorded episode 17 of season one, I fully forgot the word for constitution. And so I said declaration of independence, but what I meant was Patty Smith began her performance of my generation by reciting the preamble to the constitution. So there you go, ladies and gentlemen and others. <laughs> yeah, so we are talking about season one, episode 18, which aired on April 24th, 1976. And the host was Raquel Welch. And there were musical performances by Phoebe Snow and John Sebastian. Yes. Um, and this was, I don't know, I guess this episode must have aired around the time when the Oscars aired because. Right from the cold open, they were making a lot of Oscar jokes. Um, this was about the winner for an actor in a political campaign, the cold open. Um, and it was Chubby Chase sitting at a desk and he's about to read the, uh, the winner on the card, you know, and he opens it up and it says, uh, just get to the fall, Chubby. And he's like, okay, wait a minute, guys. Like, you know, I'm a political satirist. I take my job seriously. I wrote this sketch. There's supposed to be a punchline on the card. I'll wait. I'll wait for the, the punchline to get here. Um, but yeah, he keeps getting requests to just do the fall. And he's like, oh my God, that's ridiculous. I'm, I'm not a physical TV comedy person. I'm, I'm leaving. And he trips on a ton of chairs as he's leaving. Yeah. Um, could see it coming. Wasn't even upset because the political jokes that he made at the beginning um were fucking they were actually like really on point really biting commentary because jimmy carter he, he was considered the front runner for the candidate slot nomination is that the word thank you thank you <laughs> nomination yeah um thank you he was considered the front runner for the democratic nomination and in trying to get some votes from notorious racist george wallace started talking when he was in Indiana about um, ethnic purity and not having government assistance to help blacks move into suburbs. And it's like, dude, like when you think of Jimmy Carter, you don't think of like, you think happy old grandpa helping you build houses and not trying to get racist democratic votes in the South by using phrases such as ethnic purity. Holy shit. <laughs> Yeah, and I'm sitting here and I'm like looking at a little Funko of Jimmy Carter like right now. Like I like Peanut Grandpa. He's one of my political like favorite people. He's a good person except for this. Um, but yeah, so I thought 
the the superlatives or the awards that they were giving out say Jimmy Carter for best use of ethnic purity Ronald Reagan for not making any more movies Gerald Ford for shortening America's attention span which I thought was fucking hilarious and then George Wallace uh he was nominated for his undying devotion to civil rights and I was like god damn go you guys like fuck you yeah call it out yeah so I uh I really, I really appreciated that, so. Yeah, I appreciated this cold open as well. Um, and then we went from this cold open into Raquel Welch's monologue, which was mostly just her singing. Um, and she was wearing this beautiful like white tank top with white pants. And she was so fucking beautiful. I had never heard of this woman in my life, but um, she sang pretty well. She was considered one of the most beautiful women alive. Like, she's still alive and she's still gorgeous. Although I'm pretty sure she had some plastic surgery done because I don't know any 80 something year old people that look like that. But um, she, yeah, no, she, she, I mean, she obviously was gorgeous. She was a model. I think, um, I think Hugh Hefner tried to get her to pose nude for Playboy. And she was like, I will do scantily clad, but I will not do full nudity. And he was like, I respected that. And I did not push the issue. And it's like, again, Hugh Hefner, go you for not being like, but honey, show us your titties. Like, wow, way to go. I know you did a lot of other really shitty things, but thank you for not pushing that issue. Yeah, just looked her up. Definitely she plastic look, surgery. I would say she doesn't um, look bad. It was good plastic pretty, surgery. It wasn't like, you know, her face is drooping or anything. But anyway, yeah. So she sang Superstar by the Carpenters. And John Belushi then reprised his uh, impression of Joe Cocker and was also singing Superstar. But he again took the Joe Cocker thing to a whole nother level and he was like throwing himself into the floor and rocking and yes, fine. Joe Cocker was known for his eccentric stage antics in his youth, but like, why are these men so obsessed with throwing themselves into hard services? Like that is not the only fucking funny thing in comedy. To them, that's peak comedy. It seems like. Just like here, I'm going to throw my, I'm going to launch myself into the ground and roll around on my stomach for a minute. Like sure, dude, you do you. And people loved them for it. So I guess it worked. Yeah, and the next sketch was, um, we see Gilda and she's ironing and she starts talking to her husband, Garrett Morris, who, uh, well, she's saying, you know, I'm scared or I'm worried about our rats. Um, all they do is sit and watch TV, which I mean, like that's really me right now. Um, and then, you know, Chubby Chase walks in and he's dressed as the Pied Piper and it becomes an ad for a uh, rat chow. And they show these really weird plastic rats eating the rat chow as part of the ad. It was um, definitely something yeah. I'll say. It was, it was a mean, good yeah, big ad. A rat chow, if your rats are here to stay, how to make sure they're you know not lethargic. And I also, um, this was a reuse of the set and I assumed characters or at least scenario from that weird three-part high school sketch a few weeks ago when Gilda was pregnant with the wife beaters in the background and Garrett Morris. So like, I didn't want to assume, but it seemed that way. Yeah. 
Yeah, it was like they were sitting and standing in different places, but at the same time, it was like, okay, is this going to become like a recurring thing in terms of when they want to refer to a really poor family? Like, it's just going to be Gilda and Garrett? I don't know. But that was something I noticed. And then the next sketch we had, I thought was kind of fucking weird, but I really appreciated it. And I loved like how much Dan Aykroyd put into this sketch. Like he's really starting to become a breakout. I'm really starting to notice him more in the show. He's finding his groove, but um, the, it was a metric conversion commercial. And this was, so way back when, and this is like when our parents were little, it was like, okay, in 10 years, we're all going to be using the metric system. We're getting rid of inches. We're getting rid of uh we're getting rid of miles we're all we're gonna do what the rest of the world does which would fucking make sense um and so it's dan Aykroyd. he's saying okay and so in preparation for the metric conversion uh we are going to introduce to you the metric alphabet which is the decabet and it basically is a sketch that just combines like a b c d e f g h i j k J, uh, and then there was like LMNOP, which was, I think he said, a relief to people who just assumed that was one letter anyway. And then the trash letters, Q through Z. And then. Which makes sense. Yeah! They are the trash letters. And he was like holding up different words and how they'd be pronounced now. And some of them made sense, quote unquote. And some of them were just fucking hilarious. And. Like, I can't remember. Oh, fuck. I should have written down the examples. They were so good. I assumed I would. I wrote down a few. Good. Yes, please do. Thank you. Take it. So, I mean, he was, first of all, I don't know if you mentioned, but it was 10 letters in this new decabet. Um, and, you know, he's going through the, the word flashcards and one of them was mucus. And he said, elemento mucus. I just thought that was funny. Um, <laughs> open, elemento open, as in. Honey, will you Elemento open the door? <laughs> I think this was a really good sketch for Dan Aykroyd. I agree. Like this was the first time I really like appreciated him and what he was doing, and I was loving it. Yeah, it wasn't a weird car commercial. It wasn't like what are they going for? It was just it just was, and it was funny. Um, and then I fucking died at him singing the new Alphabet song. It was so fucking good. It was the cherry on top of this sketch. Um, also, I want to have, this is like the world's longest spliff slips that I recognized last night when I was reading part eight of Life from New York. Um, I know I tore through it yesterday. I was, I was loving it. Anyway, um, I believe I made a joke, uh, asking and saying that I hoped Tom Davis and Al Franken could work it out and just, you know, share a joint and whatever. Tom Davis died in 2012. <laughs> That's tough. Yeah. So, whoops. Also, Rip. they kind of split due to Tom Davis's drug use. So I don't think they'd be sharing a joint. It might be a coffee if Tom Davis was still alive. So anyway, back to the show. Sorry. That was Tom Davis Corner. Yeah. Um, yeah. The next sketch was, um, we see Scred and Plubus. And they're walking around and they're wondering why they weren't let into the studio as they're very lovable Muppets, you know. And Raquel Welch is there and they ask, well, they're going to ask her, but then they end up like, try, like putting the moves on her. 
what did one of them say until you've made it with a Muppet? And it was just like, guys, can we please stop talking about these gorgeous women fucking Muppets? Like that. She literally said, wait a minute. Are you talking about making love to me? You're just puppets. Yeah, it was. Yeah. She told them to look beneath their waists and said they had nothing. Um, And then it ended slash transitioned to the next thing. With Chevy Chase coming out and saying that Raquel Welch should just relax and take her shirt off. And she's like, "Mm, no, I don't think so. And he's like, oh, you don't have to. It's your right as an American. And it's like, how about her right as a woman? Like, like, I I get that, you know, yes, she's the most beautiful woman. She's one of the most beautiful women in the world. And yes, everyone wanted to see her boobs. But like, uh, there was so much boob humor in this show that it was like, okay, we get it. Like Raquel Welch, she's got nice boobs. Yeah, I did not need Chevy Chase to be icky right after seeing the Muppets be icky. Mm-mm. But then we saw Phoebe Snow perform. Yeah. <laughs> um, she sang all over and it was good. Yeah, her voice reminded me kind of like an early Alanis Morissette, but more bluesy and raspy. And it was mm. kind of froggy in parts, but I think that was kind of what I liked about it. It was unique. Um, and Phoebe Snow actually had, she kind of, I don't want to say she gave up music, but she had a child that was extremely developmentally disabled. And she pretty much stopped singing and performing to take care of the child. And I thought that's, I, I mean, I, I don't, I don't want to say it was the right or wrong decision, but I think it's admirable. Like, fuck, like she was on Saturday Night Live and she was killing it. She had a career and she's like, nope, baby comes first. So Damn. Yeah, because she did not. They wanted her to institutionalize the child so she could continue performing and continue having a career. And she's like, fuck you. This is my kid. Holy shit. That's crazy. Yeah. So, yeah, I thought that. So that was just something I was like, what the fuck? Like, when did that happen? Uh, let me see. Phoebe Snow. Oh, she died in 2011. Boo uh 75 and 78 she was married to phil kearns she had a daughter born with severe brain damage this is all coming from wikipedia by the way uh snow resolved not to institutionalize valerie and cared for her at home until valerie died in 2007 at the age of 31 snow's efforts to care for valerie nearly ended her career she continued to take voice lessons and she studied opera informally so mid-70s so back when that shit was still you know acceptable to suggest yeah just a different time <laughs> um the next uh sketch was the claudine langey invitational um and it had been literally just a month since the murder of spider sabich is that how you pronounce it yeah wait it, it had only been a month yeah i looked it up it, it was april it was in march 76 holy shit okay now i see why i see i thought this was years afterwards okay I, I think we should probably talk about who Spider Sabich and Claudine Langer were because while I, I know you and I both know, I don't know that everyone else likes true crime as much as we do and they might not be familiar. So Right, they didn't really explain it in the sketch, no. but I'm assuming that most viewers would have been well aware. Right, because I mean, if this was recent news and this was like, it was a big fucking deal what had happened, guys. Like, big fucking deal. It's still a big I mean, deal. It's still, yeah. I'm still... God damn. I will say this sketch made me miss skiing so 
fucking much like we're not skiing this winter because while it is ironically probably one of the most safe activities to do during corona um fucking ski passes even though they were cheaper it was still expensive no guarantees of refunds if the resorts closed and you have to like make a reservation yeah no i might as well just wait until things are normal. exactly it's like fuck it i just want to be able to go and do what i want <laughs> okay it's been a minute since i've looked into this case but just off the top of my head spider savage was this very prolific skier and i guess you know the 70s and olympic olympic level skier yeah. i'll say it. 1968 olympics and he was the pro ski racing champion in 71 and 72 damn so he was good this is like yeah big news and claudine langey was his girlfriend i don't know what she did was she also a skier no nah. so she was a singer and she was married to another guy and she became right. famous she was like a singer actress and she married andy williams but left him for spider savich and it was a whole fucking like big thing in the celebrity world and then this happened yeah, then uh, he gets shot. Spider Savage gets shot, and Claudine Langer is, of course, like the number one suspect. But uh, her lawyer was really good and was able to sort of talk their way out of the situation. So this woman ended up spending like 30 days in jail um, for shooting her boyfriend. In the back. Yeah. Self defense, she said, or thought it was an intruder. He was like in the bathroom. <clears throat> fixing something and I can't remember if he was planning on leaving her or she thought he was planning on leaving her but she's like well can't have that happen bang yeah and so this whole sketch was um you see skiers and uh Chevy Chase and Jane Curtin are doing like you know what what do you call it narration I don't know uh Um, I would say they're doing ski commentary that's the word (laughs) (laughs) and um yeah the skiers will be doing good and then they'll fuck up and they'll be like "Uh uh-oh uh he seems to have been accidentally shot by uh Claudine Langer and here she dropped the gun here she was showing the gun to a friend here she was cleaning the gun (laughs) it was so good it was just like it was I mean Again, truly, I did not know it had happened a fucking month prior, but they are really going after the fact that, okay, this was clearly not, oh, she dropped her gun. Oh, it was an accident. Oh, it went off. Like, there's no fucking way. And so it was just, yeah, I, 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 that one, that one got him. Um, I also- We'll talk about that next week more. (laughs) Yeah. Um, so yeah, that was, um unexpected but also they're really starting to go for it the show is getting edgier and they're confident yeah it's like they were always edgy but it didn't always work and they're seeing kind of what's working now at least i think and i really thought the ski shooting ski shooting i i i was like goddamn y'all and then we went into another polaroid commercial which was swapped. It was like John Belushi was reading Jane Curtin's lines and Jane Curtin was reading John Belushi. It was weird. It was kind of cute, but it's like- It wasn't really funny. No, it was just like, oh, hee hee, 
John Belushi, he's, you don't normally see him doing stuff out of character or costume. So it was like, oh, cute, his voice. Yeah. The next um, sketch was great moments in her story, uh, which immediately when I saw this, I was like, oh, like really, like, come on. It's becoming a groan just whenever I see that card. It's like, well, this isn't going to be good. It was bad. It was, as you would expect, um, Raquel Welch being objectified in a way that's supposed to be funny. I don't know. Yeah, it was like Dan Aykroyd was playing Howard Hughes and he was making a movie, but he was also inventing things. And it's like, why is she rubbing her boobs into him? Like he would talk to her and she'd just be shimmying her boobs back and forth against his chest. And like, I'm sure Dan Aykroyd loved that, but I was just very confused. Um, she kept, they kept calling them gazongas and I'm like, cool. And then there was a bra with propellers, which, okay, fine. Dan Aykroyd did make me laugh in this sketch because, I, I mean, uh, Raquel Welch was like, I'm not going to put that on. That looks dangerous. He's like, it's been tested. And he puts it on. So it's Dan Aykroyd wearing this fucking like cone propeller bra. And then the propellers start and he just like starts like shaking all over the room and all over the floor. And I was like, okay, that's commitment. Like you're really going for it here, guy. But that was the only thing that made me laugh. Yeah, no, he was good there. I felt like at the end of the sketch, there was just like pity applause. Yeah, it was just kind of like, cool, that was nice. Please don't do it again. Yeah. (laughs) What the audience did love, and it was really female audience members that fucking went nuts for this joke. I went back and listened to it twice. Uh, Weekend update, Chevy Chase opens. He's on the phone with unknown woman slash whatever and he's like no no it's just out of batteries here's what you do and all of the women in the audience just like start shrieking because they're like oh my god that's hilarious and then he's like okay you take the electric toothbrush and like even more screeches and laughs because like obviously we've all been there um but but i love that yeah it was just like okay that fucking worked it wasn't gross it was it was just funny. It was fun. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I thought that was a fucking incredible way to open Weekend Update. Right. And then he continued on by saying, I'm Chevy Chase and you can't. And you know what? I gave it to him. I fucking laughed. You just did the, the vibrator, but I'll laugh. I'll give it up to him. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> there was another <clears throat> Jimmy Carter joke. They're really starting to go after him. Yeah. And it was like, Jimmy Carter can't tell a lie. When asked why he wanted to be president, he said, the power of the office would get him off sexually. And it was just like, holy shit. (laughs) That was fucking great. And they just kind of moved on after that. But it was a great fucking line. I was dying. (laughs) So I was, it was so unexpected. And oh my God, I loved it. (sighs) I also appreciated the George Wallace strength joke. They were like, oh, they're saying he's too old. And so at his next campaign stop, he crushed a baby. It was like, what the fuck? There was one bit of Weekend Update where um, Chevy Chase was reading an update on the children of Israel, which was literally just like him reading scripture from the Bible. Um, It was kind of funny. Like... (laughs) If you grew up in the church, <laughs> to hear Chevy Chase read it out loud, he sounded like a fucking, I don't know what, what you even call it. 
but the person who reads in the church. We had our first appearance of Babwa Wawa by Gilda Radner, which I actually do fucking really like this impression, um, simply because it like takes it takes the part of Barbara Walters that is like comforting yet seriously annoying and it like really amplified it in terms of uh, her manner of speaking. And I know that she did end up leaving um, NBC for ABC, but yeah, I don't know. I was just like, it was the first time on Saturday Night Live that I've seen, or at least the first time in the first season, obviously I've seen this since. Um, it's the first time in the series that I feel like they've taken on a female, someone has done an impression of, oh God, words, um, a notable female persona, someone that's in the public eye, Jesus Christ. Okay. Like like they're doing to, to a woman what they know Chevy Chase does uh, four, yeah, 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 like... kind, yeah, kind of like, yeah, like it, it wasn't entirely negative, it wasn't entirely positive, but it was funny. It wasn't like, oh, here we're gonna shit on women and have you know, um, do some creepy thing with Freud and his daughter or whatever. It was a female celebrity impersonation that wasn't icky, and I liked it, even if I didn't fully like. It. Oh, I do know what you're saying, like, yeah, yeah. it was just an impersonation, yeah. like. <laughs> Yeah. Yes. It's not, not something that made me feel bad about what I was watching. Right. Which did end up happening. Yeah. So anyway, yeah, I appreciated that. And then you can take the next one because I the bisexual minute. Yeah. Yeah. Our great Lord and Savior, the bisexual minute, has let us down because this one was just about um it was about Gore Vidal, who was a bisexual writer, but um, Vidal was portrayed by Raquel Welch wearing um, this bikini with the Prince of the American flag on it and that was essentially the entire point of the sketch was just looking at her wearing this American flag bikini yeah I oh god no mm -mm. no thank you um, and then we went back to the desk where John Belushi the weather correspondent he was talking about different songs written about the weather and he proceeds to get more and more worked up until much as with the uh, animal one of last week or two weeks prior, he like collapses. He's like, ah! and then he just tips over in his chair. And I did appreciate the camera at the end kind of caught him getting up and leaving the weekend update desk. And I was like, ah! that was kind of funny. It was predictable, but I enjoyed it. There were some good lines in his bit. Yeah. And then hmm. there's just some weird stuff in this show. So again, this is, yeah. it's been mentioned twice before, once in Alive from New York and once in the show. Welcome Back Cotter was, it was a show in the seventies about a teacher who I think he like lost his high profile job and, um, he came back to teach the remedial class at his high school or the high school that he went to. And 
what data, what the students in the class don't know is that he was the original remedial student. And so he's coming back to teach these guys and the school's like, ah, they're nothing. Just get them out of the school. And he's like, no, I see stuff in these kids. And he like, you know, John Travolta was in it. I mean, it was cute, but it was also, uh, but yeah, it was John Sebastian, the guy that sang the theme song. to welcome back Cotter, which is called welcome back. It was just like a promo for another freaking NBC show. I was like, what the fuck, guys? Come on. Yeah, but then like John Belushi was on again for the second time in this single episode as Joe Cocker. Um, also, I was I was really cringing when um, John Sebastian was singing and he would be like, sing this part. Um, like trying to get the audience to sing along with him and absolutely no sound was made in the audience. No, <clears throat> it was so awkward. <laughs> I don't know if they didn't want to sing it or they didn't know, but it was so fucking awkward. I felt so bad for him. And like, <clears throat> he had already had a mic fuck up at the beginning of the song where it was squeaking and he had to start over. Poor guy. And then, yeah. okay, so do you know about the next part? I mean, I know as far as what I read in Life in New York. Okay, so this marks Lauren's like first, first on-camera appearance where he's like talking to the people. And this doesn't happen all that often, but uh, certainly not so much anymore. But um, Lauren is sitting at his quote-unquote desk and this is the Beatles sketch that people talk about. Lauren Michaels sitting behind a desk, making a plea to the members of the Beatles saying, hey, I have a check right here for $3,000. You can reunite on this show, sing three songs. Uh, it'll be the easiest money and you can split it up however you want. You can give less to Ringo, which, ha, ah, Ringo slam. That was so fucking funny. Yeah. <laughs> My dad and brother actually saw Ringo, though. <laughs> I, I was, I've seen Ringo. Like, it's something everyone, I don't know, I, I don't want to say should do, but it's like, okay, I have seen both remaining Beatles, so, you know, I'll take it. Um, and this is a sketch that uh, Paul McCartney was hanging out with John Lennon, like, 40, 50 blocks north at the Dakota, and they were watching Saturday Night Live because everyone fucking watched Saturday Night Live because it was the fucking cool thing to watch on TV. And they were like, yo, we should go down there. And then they were like, well, it's our night off and we're watching TV and that'll be work. And we don't want to play tonight. And so they didn't. But Fair. yeah, I did a bit of money. I did a bit of money. I did a bit of Googling. <laughs> And so it's $3,000 in 1976 would have equaled $13,720 in today's money. So it's like, that's a lot of money for like me, but for the Beatles to reunite, I get why it was like, okay, here's this pittance to come play on our TV show, please. Yeah. Okay. So I, I thought that $3,000 didn't sound like a lot. And now hearing it in today's money, it still does not sound like all that much. Correct. <laughs> yeah. So I don't know. It's like, I've heard about this sketch for fucking years. I've read about it, knew what it was about. Didn't love it any less. It was, it's a piece of history. Yeah, it was good. The next sketch was um Really not my favorite of the night. I'll say it. Um, it was one flew over the hornet's nest. 
uh, I have never seen, um, what's it called? One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. One... <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm just totally, <laughs> I was trying to remember that. Oh, Nurse Ratched. Yeah, was Raquel Welch and the bees were um, patients in this institution. Yeah. Garrett Morris was like an orderly. It was, I don't know. Okay, well, shit. Um, so it's about... Ugh. Okay, in Oregon in 63... Um, look, okay, the... Uh, Jack Nicholson's character is serving a prison sentence for assault and statutory rape of a 15-year-old girl. He gets himself transferred to a mental institution to avoid hard labor. Oh, Jesus Lord. I mean, it's considered like the 33rd best film of all time, and it was the second to win all five major Academy Awards, Best Picture, Actor, Actress, Director, and Screenplay. So like, okay. So they're kind of making fun of in this guy. Yeah, so it's like, yeah, they are, um, which I, again, I thought was, ah, this won the Oscars like three weeks before this episode. Oh, the Oscars were like three weeks. Oh, wait, did they have a break? They did. They were off for like a full four weeks. And I think the Oscars, I looked it up like half an hour ago. They happened uh, at the end of March in 76. So this movie would have been, this was, yeah, this movie would have been the shit. Everybody would have known what the fuck they were talking about, especially since it did the sweep of the big five. Like everyone would have, okay. So this sketch really would have fucking played in 1976 for 20. 21 oh my god that's the first time i've said that um <laughs> right um for 2021 and as someone who's never seen this i it didn't play quite as much i just found it gross but if i rewatch after we watch one flew over the cuckoo's nest maybe it'll play better i don't fucking know but yeah maybe but for a lot of the time it felt like like mental illness was just like a punchline yeah it didn't feel like yeah true and it's like yeah that that's what felt gross because it's like instead of focusing on the movie it was just like oh what is gilda sitting there putting in her mouth like it was just it it didn't feel they could have worked harder they could have done that better so yeah i just wrote what the fuck and then uh, we had gilda's equal time which felt icky as well yep um it was like oh, they had to give Gilda equal time because they were giving Raquel Welch all this time. And it's like, oh, haha, she's ugly. And it's like, fuck you. Um, or at least that's how I took it. Um, and she was talking about how she saw Raquel Welch naked and it wasn't by accident. And she wanted to assure the viewers that we have all the same parts. She's a woman just like I am. My parts just need a little regrouping. And I was like, fuck you, you're fine. And yeah, the way... That she explained, oh, sorry, I just interrupted you. No, it's okay. But um, the way that she explained seeing her body was literally she, like, snuck into the woman's restroom and, like, peeked over the stall. It was so predatory and icky sounding. Yeah, and then it was, like, self-shaming and knowing that she had such body image issues. Like, it just, that, it hurt. It was like, fuck. There's, like, literally. Yeah, it was like, she looked fine. And it was like, they were still saying, oh, you're not pretty enough. And I wanted to kick a writer in the balls at that point. But anyway, and oh, oh God. (laughs) 
you can take the next part. I, oh God, I just saw what was next. Yeah. And I'm just like, oh, fuck. Like, we're going right from gross frying pan into the gross fire. This was the worst fucking thing that could have happened after that sketch. Because now we're seeing the Gary Weiss film. So expectations, you know, the bar is so low right now, right? <laughs> but then the whole film is just Raquel Welch dancing to this, like, upbeat music and wearing this sequiny revealing dress thing with beads all over the place and there was some slow motion and just it was just her dancing and showing off how fucking hot she was for a good amount of time to Gary Weiss yeah like my notes are okay so Gary Weiss made a Raquel Welch porno this week it was like softcore porn playing out on the tv and I'm glad that we just watched his fucking literal mental spank bank play out on the screen. Like he literally just set up a camera and filmed Raquel Welch shimmying and gyrating and being sexy for like three to four fucking minutes. And it felt it's even ickier in comparison with what played right before it saying, oh, Gilda's equal time. They had to give her time because, oh, Raquel Welch is over here being gorgeous. And oh God, it was so fucking gross. I... I was like, how, like literally the only reason that was on the show was to give guys at home watching like three to four minutes to fucking see Raquel Welch be all sexy. And I, uh -uh. like there was no point. There's ways to be sexy and have it be good. Like have it be like fun, but that was just icky. I didn't like that at all. It was just like objectifying her for three to four minutes. It was just like, oh, yeah. But yeah, then we had um, Phoebe Snow once again. She sang, um, I believe, Two-Fisted Love. And then yes. Raquel Welch sang It Ain't Necessarily So. Shit, I forgot to look up who that was by. It Ain't Necessarily So is by George Gershwin with lyrics by Ira Gershwin. And it comes from the opera Porgy and Bess. So that's the thing that I didn't know because I don't know old musicals like that. So yeah, I just thought it was, okay, cute. It's a song. Oh, there was no home movie this week, which I was okay with. Oh yeah. I, they've gotten better, but I was like, you know what? Let's leave it to the SNL people. Um, yeah. I wrote, okay, this is really sad, but I can't remember what I was referring um, to. Definitely the Muppets. Um, <gasps> oh my god, yeah, that was fucking heartbreaking. It was. Um, Scrub and Plubus go to the Mighty Favog and he's on his set, but like covered, or they're not even on their set anymore. It's like they're just on a set, covered in cobwebs. And Scrub and Plubus are like, oh my god, what are we going to do? You know, they told us that we're puppets and we're no longer on the show. And he tells them uh, not to look down and to just forget about their whole careers and quit. And they're like, oh no, we can't do that. And he tells them to go into a trunk and says that it doesn't hurt because puppets don't have feelings. It was kind of a disturbing sketch. Um, it was dark. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, and no one in the audience, they, they were, I, the audience had the same fucking reaction. It was dead silent. It's like, how do you fucking laugh at that? Like, uh, or at least I thought they weren't laughing. Maybe it was just, I was tuning out the audience, but. I, I was just like, how the fuck? Like, I would have been like, no, no, what the, just 
don't bring them back. Why are we watching them be killed on air? So, uh. it was like watching that scene in Toy Story three where it looks like they're all gonna go into the garbage fire pit and die. Spoiler alert! If you still haven't seen it, I don't know. Um, <laughs> it was like that, but in the middle of SNL. So not great. Yeah. Um. That was exactly it. Um, I thought the dancing good nights were kind of cute. It was just Chevy Chase. He took Raquel Welch's hands and they were just like slow dancing. And I thought that was sweet. Although I think he did. Oh, no, there was something really gross right before that, though. Yeah. Yep. That's. Yep. <laughs> they got a fucking telegram. Ugh. And it was like one of the first times they got a telegram to read live on the air. And it was from a vet in the hospital and his last dying wish is to see her take her shirt off and she does and she's wearing this like tube top that becomes a green screen and there's like patriotic music playing and images of like I don't know rockets and shit it was crazy I don't know what the hell that was right and it was also very painfully obvious that a Chevy Chase wanted her to take her top off and that he was like reading things on the letter you could tell he's like oh it looks like a letter but it's telegram and you could tell it was kind of like it was like the joke was that he did it because he'd already asked her to take her shirt off and he's like he only has a week to live like one week that's it yeah it was and then they started dancing which was cute but in light of what had just happened it was like okay that would have been better if she hadn't ripped her shirt open yeah agreed so yeah uh would i be correct in saying your oh shit you said your least favorite but was it gilda's equal time and gary rice or was it one flew over the hornet's nest because i remember you said one of them was your least favorite but i'm high and i can't remember which well pretty good memory originally it was one flew over the hornet's nest but i don't know now that i think about it again gilda's equal time and the gary weiss film were particularly gross yeah i i thought my worst was going to be one flew over the hornet's nest and then what followed that was like worse and then even worse and i was like well that's pretty fucking hilarious when one flew over the hornet's nest, just moved into third. Like how I did not see that coming. It was like my jaw just kept <laughs> dropping lower and lower. So yeah, I would agree with you that Gilda and Gary Weiss were, they sucked tonight. Well, not Gilda, Gilda no. didn't suck, but like that piece. Bet. Yeah, and like also I wish she had said no, I don't want to do that. Like It's just, yeah like it's kind of yeah like the fact that she was the one chosen out of Lorraine Newman and Jane Curtin like who are just so they're just pretty in a different way it's like they could have put them in there and it might have been even not funnier but it wouldn't have seemed as mean yeah I agree did you have a runner-up or I think my runner-up would probably be the cold open. I thought some of those political jokes were pretty good, and it was it just felt funny and fresh for some reason. Nice. My runner-up was the Dan Aykroyd uh, metric alphabet decabet one that I thought was so cute, and it was just like, you know what, man? You do it. You do you. That's great. That's actually my best. Okay. <laughs> my best was the Claudine Langer Invitational. 
Yeah, that was almost, I don't know why I didn't put that one in. <laughs> I, I saw, and well, in knowing now that they did the sketch a month after she shot him, like, wait, that, that just makes Whoa. it even, oh, and you, y'all don't even wait. know. Actually, I'm changing it. Rewind, back it up. My best is that one. Okay. <laughs> Runner up is the, the deck of best. Yeah. I... I, it just, I don't know, those were solid pieces, and it's like, just thinking about those, yeah, this is a good fucking show, if you scratch all the gross sexism. Right, yeah, this was one of the shows where I kind of didn't like seeing the host most of the time. Yeah, I was, yeah, I agree, it was just kind of like, she was there to be the bombshell, and it was like painfully obvious that she was Raquel Welch, and that was all, whenever she was on screen, the sketch was about how attractive she was. And it's like, yeah, I don't know. It's Scarlett Johansson has a really good quote in, I think it's part eight of Life from New York. And it applies to this and that she's like, I can be beautiful like on any movie, any time, like that is not a problem I have. You go on SNL to make fun of yourself and to be the gross thing that it's it's a place to experiment and do new things and it's a place where you can take that jump and so yeah I I thought that was painfully painfully obvious here because it was like why like does she, can she act I I don't know it's like yeah no that's that's crazy I love Scott Johansson I I can see why Colin Jost and her are together when she says to like yeah that. um it was, yeah, so it was like that, reading that after, right after I had watched this, it just solidified, the, okay, yeah, we get it, you're pretty, but I knew that coming in. Like, what else did you show me? Nothing. What could you do with that, you know? Right! So, yeah, that was season one, episode 18. Um, you can find us uh, on all major podcast platforms, you can email us at satnighthighpod at gmail. And we have a website, which is satnighthighpod.com. Our username is satnighthighpod on Twitter, Reddit, Instagram, um, except on Twitter, night is spelled N-I-T-E because of character limit. That is it for, is that it? Fuck. I think that's it. I think yeah. that's it. Okay. Yeah. So <laughs> like, subscribe, rate and review, tell your friends um we love hearing from you guys started getting some comments which is fun um <laughs> and yeah uh happy highs happy new year happy new year yeah let's let's this has to be better than last year it can't be worse dear god did i just curse it oh it's only up from here <laughs> <laughs>